Good morning. Welcome to Stuttgart Harvest Church. I am so glad that you're here. Um, as we get going this morning, um, I, you know, we've been talking a lot about how um, we don't have the opportunity to um, visit with folks from. Uh, the Old Testament or the New Covenant, we don't have that privilege. And we've been talking about Christmas miracles, and I realize this is the first Sunday in January, and so this will be the last Sunday that you hear Christmas music <laughs> until next December. Um, but we extended this series a week because I wanted to be able to uh, share with you one of many stories that you're going to hear this year. Um, but before we do that, I just kind of want to introduce you to uh, Bridget. Um, uh, Chris and Bridget drove over from Malvern this morning. Chris is the basketball coach um, for the girls team in Magnet Cove, which is between Malvern and Hot Springs. And Bridget is on staff with the Malvern School District. Bridget, what do you do with Malvern? I am the gifted and talented teacher at the K-4 building. And then I also um, teach East, which is a kind of technology-based class. And then I'm the Beta Club sponsor. Okay, awesome. Um, you are deeply involved in that school system. Uh, one of your children goes to Magnet Cove, so you are now also with your husband there and a, a student there. You're also deeply involved over there. Now, you grew up in the Malvern area. I did. And so Born you went, went to the Malvern school system. Mm -hmm. um, and so you are a longtime Arkansas resident and uh, Malvern specifically in that area. So I wanted you to get to know her just a little bit before we move on. Um, so we've been talking about Christmas miracles and we've been pointing you to scripture. We have said that um, that the the stories that we see in the New Covenant and the Old Covenant, uh, those stories are true. They're real uh, life accounts. Um, and we have been called, as we are following Jesus, we have been called to do that by faith. And we've been talking through this series how that faith that we are called to have is not a blind faith. A blind faith just simply says, believe because you're told to believe. But we're not told to have a blind faith. We, we actually have a faith that has proof. We have good reason to believe. And we, part of that is all of these stories of life change that we find in the New Covenant, we can't go back and ask those people questions. Because 2,000 years ago, we understand that just can't happen. Um, so we can't go to the uh, original writers, the authors uh, who were led by God's Spirit to write their experiences down. We don't. We can't go to them. We can't go to the people that the stories are about, their biographies that were included in the New Covenant. We can't ask those questions. We can't. We can't. Uh, uh, go and ask them about their stories and about their experience. Now, we are blessed to have the new covenant. We're so blessed to have it. Thank you, Jesus, for providing that for us. But we are surrounded today by story after story after story. I, I was here on the Sunday that we asked you uh, to stand. If, if you have experienced a, a, a story with God or you know someone who has that's very close to you and, um, and, and the room was filled 
with people standing saying, yes, that's me. So we know this room is filled with stories and we hope to be able over the course of this year and next year, uh, as the years go by, to be able to share many of these stories with you. But today, um, I've asked Bridget to join me. Um, we got to to share your story. I, I, you got to share your story and I got to, to, to listen and be a part um, last week in Mount Vernon. And today, I've asked her to join me um, in Stuttgart and to, for her ask them to drive over, and they were very glad to. Um, I talked with Bridget a few months ago, knowing this is where we were headed, um, and we wanted to be able to share a story of faith with you. And so um, she was very glad. And I understand it's scary to share your story. Now, this is not the first time that she has shared her story, um, but I, I can just imagine that first time you did share your story um, was probably pretty scary. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, um, like you said, I've had the opportunity now to share my testimony now publicly a few times, um, but when I was first asked to share, I really had to do a lot of what I call wrestling with God. Yeah. Um, I'm really good at that. So um, I didn't feel worthy to share. And I honestly still battled a lot of shame yeah. from my past and what people were going to think about me if I shared that, you know, with them. But um, I saw a quote when I was getting ready um, trying to prepare to share. And it said, you were flawed, but still worthy. And that really kind of just resonated with yeah. me in that moment. And Isaiah 55, 53, five says, but he was pierced for our rebellions, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And I'm so thankful um, for that healing. I'm thankful that I can finally see that, yes, I am flawed, but I'm still worthy. And thanks to the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, I don't have anything to be ashamed of, but rather a lot to be thankful for and praise him for. So today, as we start 2024, this first Sunday in 2024, I'm very thankful that I get to share just a piece of my testimony with you. Yeah, others. and I'm thankful you're willing. And so, Bridget, as I guess as we get started, why don't you tell them a little bit about your life right now before we head to uh, pre previous years? So sometimes it's really hard for me to believe that this is my life now. Um, I have a husband who loves me unconditionally. I have amazing kids. Um, I have a job that I love making a difference in kids' lives every day. I'm surrounded with friends and family that love me and support me. Um, we go to an amazing church. I've been so blessed, and God has definitely turned ashes into beauty. And I want to remember that yeah. as I give my testimony. Awesome. So he's changed you. And I love this fact that he is still in the process of changing <laughs> you. He's not done with any of us yet. Absolutely. And so from your perspective, Bridget, why is it important for us um, to tell our stories of God transforming ashes in our own lives to beauty? I think God tells us in Revelation 12, 11, that they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimonies. And I think that it's very important when God does good in our life that we testify to that goodness. And it's not always easy because if your testimony is like mine, it comes with a whole lot of shame and regrets. Um, it comes with things that aren't always easy and pretty. They don't mm -hmm. fit the idea of what a Christian, I always say, what Christian's yeah. life is supposed to look like. Yeah. Um, I'm going to 
I'm going to just move one now. piece of hair. You got it. You got it. You got it. You got, I was going to get all up in your space for okay. just a moment, but you got it. Like curl you like got. I went the wrong direction this morning. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, so many times that we let the devil convince us that our story's not um, important, that our story doesn't need to be shared, but um, it is important. And God believes that we should share it. Um, and there was a time probably multiple times in my life where I wasn't sure that I would ever make it to a place of joy and contentment and find healing. So I think it's very important to share that with others. Yeah. Now that you're, uh, you, that you point, are at that right. point and moving <laughs> further, even in that direction. Yeah. So, okay. So uh, again, I am very grateful that you're going to share part of your story today. Um, and so as we look at your journey toward that contentment and toward that healing, where do you want to begin as you begin to share your story today? I think um, outside of Harley and Chris, nobody here has, you know, you don't know me, you haven't heard my testimony. Um, so I did want to tell you that it is deep. It's not the funnest thing to talk about, but just know that through it all, God is good. And he has used each and everything that has happened, good and bad, um, and orchestrated it all for good. Yeah. Um, but in August of 1988, uh, my life took a turn down a really dark, hard path at the age of eight. Um, my brother and sister and I were playing in the sprinkler in our neighborhood. And my mom had gone to put the mail up. And while she was inside, a man we didn't know pulled up and pretended to be a police officer looking for a girl around my age. And um, he had me in the car and was gone in a split second. I'm really not sure exactly how long I was gone, but it felt like forever to my eight-year-old mind. Um, as an eight-year-old, I really had no idea what he was doing to me, but I knew that it wasn't right. Um, after a lot of begging and pleading on my part, and I know many prayers for my safe return, he did finally take me back close to home and drop me off. Um, I thankfully knew where I was when he dropped me off and I started walking towards home. And um, I still remember how hot the pavement was that day. It was August in Arkansas. And um, I remember making it back to the entrance of our subdivision and spotting my dad. Um, and when he dropped you off, you like you had no shoes on. No, I was in my swimsuit. That's that all hot I had pavement, mm -hmm. I mean, is, yeah. is branded into your mind. Yes. Yeah. And you know, trauma does some really crazy things to our memory. So I don't remember a lot of details of what else happened that day or really much of the next three or four years. And I do remember spending a lot of time in police stations, answering questions, giving details for sketches, looking at lineups to see if maybe one of those people could be him. And I remember going to Children's Hall, all the people who surrounded our family with love and support, especially our church family. And I was loved. And we were loved, and I like that that feeling sticks, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, they weren't able to find who did it immediately, um, but my parents were amazing, and they never gave up. They fought very hard for me and for justice, but life also had to go on, so we tried to go about life as normal as we could. Which um, most of us, as we're listening to this, wonder how can't, can't imagine... And, you know, I think at times we look back even and wonder, yeah. you know, how. Yeah. Um, but we but you did. We did. Yeah. Um, I went back to school. Um, it was strange. I remember feeling like I really, you know, didn't fit in, um, that something was different. Yeah. And then when I was in the fifth grade, um, they 
thought that they had picked him up trying to do the same thing to some girls in Benton. Um, and they thought it he fit the description. Yeah. So. so when, okay, so that's fifth grade. So how many years separated? Because I kind of lose. A little lose, over two years. So two years yeah. from eight years old. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I was able to identify him in the lineup. And that brought on a whole new set of trauma. Um, I had to be prepped for court. And I had to stir up all those memories and emotions that I had pressed down and tried to forget over the last few years. Uh, I remember being in a room with a mediator and I had this big baby doll that my nanny bought me when I was a little bitty that I took everywhere with me. And I remember not understanding what was going on, but just knowing it was scary and that emotions were high for all the adults around me. Um, And I remember just wanting it to be over. Yeah. So how did that trial end? So they did end up finding him guilty. Um, He was supposed to serve 30 years in prison. But that, that, yeah, so that found guilty, but Turns out that yeah. wasn't the end, though, was it? No, unfortunately, our justice system is a little bit um, messed up when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah. And I was hopeful that I would never have to relive that again. But after just a few years, um, he was eligible for parole. And now as a teenager, um, I just started high school and I had so to start. A, uh, so a young high school teenager. Yes. Okay. Yes. And I had to start going before the parole board of Arkansas every year. And pleading with them to at least keep him in jail until I graduated from high school. And I remember at this age, really starting to understand exactly what had happened to me. Um, as I stood before the parole board and told them what, the, what he had done and the fear that I had of him doing it to somebody else um, or hurting my family, um, things started really to get real for me. Um, the parole board did keep their end of the deal. Um, and they did not release him until um, the June. I graduated in May, and he got out of prison in June. Oh, my goodness. So you graduated, and you moved on from school, but you did not move on from the trauma. No. You you did not have the opportunity to graduate right. past that. Right. Mm. And, you know, I worried about him coming after me or my family because that's what he had promised. If you say anything about this you know, I'm going to kill your family. I'm going to kill you. Um, so I was constantly looking and praying. I didn't see him. Um, I told myself that I'd moved on and that that incident didn't define me, but unfortunately it just wasn't that easy. Um, I tried to live a normal life and for the most part, especially to the outside world, I did, but on the inside, I was really battling a spirit of shame and the devil's been using shame since the garden of Eden. Shame was actually born in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So you're experiencing shame. How, how, you know, we think of all the people who should be ashamed in that moment. We don't think of you. How, how are you experiencing that shame? Well, you know, shame is defined as a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. And although eight year old me, didn't do anything wrong. The devil had used it to make me feel the shame as if he had. In Genesis 3, 7 through 10, God said, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they f- sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. 
So shame was the first consequent of, consequence of Adam and Eve's sin. They had been naked, but now evil had entered and the knowledge that they gained made them feel ashamed and they hid or tried to hide from God. So I figure if I ask for a show of hands, probably 100% of us could say that we felt or dealt with shame in our lives, either self-induced or in, like in my case, because of things that have been done to us. But as an eight-year-old little girl, I wasn't actually sure what had happened to me, but I knew whatever it was made me different. I wasn't that same innocent little girl I was before, just as Adam and Eve's eyes were open to evil things, so were mine. And so the devil really began to use that spirit of shame to distort the way I viewed myself, how I viewed others, and how I viewed life really in general. Yeah, and, I, and you, you are so right, because I believe that each one of us in here, myself included, we have or are battling shame. And sometimes, so often, for most of us, or many, I can say, many of us, it's it's shame from things we have done. But in this scenario, in this case, in this instant, this was not from something you had done. This was from, but it's the very same shame, but it's not from anything that originated from your thinking or your thoughts or your behavior. So how is the evil one now, at this point in your story, how is he using shame? Because at this point of your story, now you are a teenager. So what's happening with you and shame as a teenager? So it really began to manifest as I got older because the more knowledgeable I became, the more I understood about what had really happened. Um, the devil convinced me that something was taken from me that I would never get back. Um, we were very involved in our church, and we had a girls' missionary auxiliary program that was amazing. But as we began to talk about purity in that program, I never felt pure. Um, I always felt shame. I felt different. And the devil continued to convince me that it was too late to be pure, that I wasn't worthy. Um, and this shame led me to make some very poor decisions through my teen years. Um, I was always looking for ways to make myself feel worthy and pure. Um, I sought attention from guys that I had no business seeking. Um, then I thought getting married would heal it, but it didn't. I thought becoming a mom would heal it, but the wounds were still there. You know, <laughs> one, one thing that comes to my mind, Bridget, is for, for all of us, and you're illustrating it right now by saying those things, is that so often we, try, we find ways that we think maybe I can escape or I can feel yeah. better or... I can put this behind me, but every circumstance we go into, we bring with us, us, all those things. And that's what you're describing, that that shame is just following you from different contexts to different contexts, different, wow. And our my heart is hurting hearing right. that because I understand that from my own perspective too in my own life I think you know most of us can yeah we've all tried to to fill those holes and make ourselves feel worthy in ways that we never mm -hmm. we're never going to work so. so you said that no matter what what you ch what change of circumstance or context you made that that shame was right there mm -hmm. it was prevailing um, you carried it with you um, and the evil one continued to pile that on top of you as a child, as a teenager, as an adult. But 
in me hearing your story and reading your story, I understand at this point, though, in your story, something pivots, something very significant uh, happens as a turning point. Tell us about that pivot that began to happen in your life. So almost 30 years to the date after I was kidnapped and raped, I received a phone call. And the lady was the prosecuting so attorney. We're 30 years we're 30 into years, the process. Yes. <laughs> and I've done a lot of, made a lot of bad choices to try to take care of this shame. Now, the whole time, I never really left God. Yeah. I never, you know, left my church family. I just was trying. We take God with us into a lot of bad decisions, a lot of bad choices. I took him right along with me. Yeah. uh, And he never left you. He didn't. And he never abandoned you. (laughs) Thank goodness he never Um, did. But I just want to highlight that that we are 30 years from From the event. From the event. This, This, some of you this morning are not even 30 years old. Some of you are barely 30 years old. So it's your entire yeah. lifetime that... It was a long time. It's a long time. It okay, was. I'm sorry to interrupt. That's 30 fine. years. 30 years. And um, a lady called me. And I normally don't answer numbers, but I don't know, but I did that night. And she was the prosecuting attorney from um, Garland County, which is where Hot Springs is. And she said she needed my help. Um, that the man who had kidnapped and raped me had again abused an eight-year-old little girl and used a position of trust to do it again. And she said, I need your help. Um, I need to prove a pattern of behavior to try to get a conviction and put him back in jail and keep him there for the rest of his life. And she asked if I would be willing to testify in court about what and how he had done to me Yeah, all those years before. Um, I was a nervous wreck. Um, I called and talked to my mom. I called and talked to my dad. Um, I really had to do a lot of wrestling with God um, because now I would be back in the same courtroom Mm -hmm. that we sat in almost 30 years prior face-to-face with him. Um, Honestly, I had not spoken of what had happened, and I tried to block it out of my mind as much as I possibly could. And and I just want to highlight again, the shame that the evil one had been heaping on you now for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And everyone else, as they look at Bridget's life, would probably, I'm just guessing, say, wow, she's really got it together. <laughs> she's really got it together. But on the inside, you're just crushed. Right. And so we're 30 years into a, a shame-filled, pain-filled journey that you don't yet see a light at the end of the tunnel. I, I just, I think I had at that point, I had just come to the conclusion that that was as good as it was going to get. Okay. Okay. Settled. I'm settling. You know, that was, I'm settling I'm for just this. as good as it's going to okay. get. Okay. Gotcha. And gotcha. then, um, nope. Yeah. You know, I hadn't told my story to anybody else. My kids were now teenagers and they had no idea that anything like that had ever happened to their mom. Um, some of my closest friends had no idea because it was, way back in my past. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that time, again, I had made some very poor choices and had just life happen in some situations. And I was now in the middle of my second divorce when she called me. And the devil was using shame more than ever. Um, he was seated very deep in my heart and stirring the spirit of shame like never before. And I told you you weren't worthy. I told you nobody would ever love you and look at you the same. Now look at you. You know, look where you are. And, but thank God, as I began to prepare for the day in court and I started writing down what I could remember of what happened that day 30 years ago and the years after, 
I started recounting now as a 38-year-old mom of two and not as an eight-year-old little girl. And God really began to move in my heart and he started breaking those Mm. chains of shame. Yeah. And story after story in the Bible, people had spent years looking for healing and they finally found it at the feet of Jesus. Yeah. And everything I was reading and studying then, because like I said, I hadn't, I never left God. Right. I took him along with all the hurt and shame, but I wasn't really ready or willing to lay it all down at Mm -hmm. his feet. And I don't know. You may not have known how. Right. I, I don't I don't know. But so you carried that with you and now you've been preparing for this right. and you began to realize some things in scripture. Yes. Where where did your heart go in scripture? So the first thing that jumped out at me was in Luke eight, forty-three through forty-eight. Um, we met a woman that had been looking for healing for twelve years. Um a woman in Luke 8, 43 through 48, it says, A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So she was finally willing to come to him. She sought him out. and She believed that his touch could heal her. Even if it was just a piece of his clothing, and Jesus immediately knew somebody seeking healing had touched him. Um, it was very comforting to me to know that when we're real aware mm-hmm. of my ins and outs, of our shame and doubt, that he knows when we're really ready and seek him out. He knows when we reach out to touch him. And she came trembling and scared. She didn't want to be noticed. She just wanted to be healed. Um, but she came to him and found yeah. that healing. You know, I th- this story always moves me. And again, we don't get to go back and ask her questions. I'm mm-hmm. so thankful that God's Spirit led them to include this experience. They had so many experiences with Jesus. But this specifically, I love how she was absolutely going to go to Jesus in secret. And it's like, I'm going to carry all this baggage, all this shame, all this hurt with me. Nobody has to know. It can be just private between me and him. And he doesn't really even have to know. If I can just touch that hem of his garment, the garment, the corner, the tassel, whatever it might have been, if I can just touch that, she knew that it could happen. No one needed to know but her. But the unexpected happened and Jesus stopped. And then Jesus eventually walks straight into her hurt and straight into her shame that she wanted to just hide and let it go away. But he walked straight there where she was experiencing shame, years and years of shame, right in front of some of the very people who probably were part of heaping some extra shame upon her life. But they certainly knew about her shame. And they certainly somehow added to her shame. But not so with Jesus. And 
he acknowledges her as his creation. He restores her dignity. He removes her shame. I absolutely love that that story is part of your healing. I and love I think, that. Um, just like she realized that she couldn't stay hidden. Yeah. And testified to the goodness where the whole crowd could hear. I yeah. think that really resonated with me in that moment as I was getting ready to have to testify uh-huh. um, of what had happened. And then in John 5, 5 through 9, I learned a man about a man that had been sick for 38 years. And I had read this story many times. But I had never noticed the 38-year part until then, and probably because I was 38 at the time, and I was trying to deal with all this. And he said, and one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. So Jesus knew that man wanted to get well, but he still asked the question, would you like to get well? And of course, the man wanted more than anything to be well, but he didn't know how until Jesus stepped in. And I think that's what you referred to earlier. Sometimes we don't know how. Yeah. Um. But when Jesus said, stand up and walk, the man didn't argue, which I'm really good at. (laughs) The man didn't justify, again, something I'm really good at. And he didn't say he deserved it or thanks anyway, or come up with all the excuses he could have. He just stood up, he rolled up his mat, and he began walking. He believed that no questions asked, that he was healed. And after 38 years, he began walking. And that day, as I've sat back in the very room, the very same courtroom from almost 30 years prior, I knew I wanted to be healed. I was so close to reaching out and touching the hem of his garment, to coming out from hiding, from believing that Jesus could do what he said he would do. So I sat at that same chair up on the stand with many of the same people in the courtroom that day that had been there to support me all those years ago. And I didn't look away in shame. I sat proudly as a child of the king, and I told my story from the perspective of an adult, and I defended that eight-year-old little girl. I stared at the man who had hurt me and caused me so much heartache. And as he looked down in what I can only hope was shame, I forgave him for what he had done to me. I forgave him not for him, but for me. And I forgave him so that I could be free from the shame and guilt and bitterness that I had held on to for so long. And I finally forgave myself. Mm. And I saw myself through the eyes of the king. I saw the purest form of myself, the one that's been washed in the blood of the lamb and made white as snow. Um, And when I walked out of that courtroom, I knew I had met with Jesus. I knew I had finally touched the hem of his garment and told him that I was ready to be healed. So eight-year-old broken Bridget, who became teenage broken Bridget, and then adult broken Bridget was now in the process through this of being put back together again through this time through his healing. And I just don't want you to miss that the forgiveness that you offered in that moment is a big part 
of this healing experience. So 30 years later, in this experience of once again telling your story, but this time as an adult, um, you're beginning to see life differently now. Yeah. Yes. And so as I, you know, as life progressed after that, I knew that it was time for me to, you know, use that testimony for something, but I really didn't know what. And I was very impressed with how the Child Advocacy Center had helped the little girl through the trial. And they didn't have those back, Uh you know, 30 years before when I'd gone through it. And I felt very convicted to do something to help. And the next summer, I had started a little side business and I'd prayed about it and asked God to bless it and use it for his honor and glory. And I kept praying and trying to figure out what God wanted me to do next. And he kept laying on my heart that I needed to share my testimony. So uh, I finally quit wrestling and decided to share an edited version of my testimony on a Facebook Live and ask people to help me support the Child Service Advocacy Center by purchasing whitening toothpaste, and all the proceeds would go to them. It was the first time outside of the courtroom that I'd really shared any part of my testimony, and God really blessed the effort, and we raised almost $700. But even better than that was so many people started to reach out on Messenger sharing their testimony or asking for my prayers for situations that they were dealing with that were similar to mine. And so... I decided to make it an annual thing. And so when I shared the next summer, one of my former students had just started working at the Child Advocacy Center in Arkadelphia, and she was needing some help with some fundraising efforts and connections to some different businesses and people in Malvern. And so she asked me if I'd come down and meet with her. And I said, sure. And she said, "Um, my mom told me that you um, have a testimony too. Do you mind sharing it with me? And I was like, sure. So again, you know, outside of my few little snippets of testimony I hadn't really shared it outside of that and so she called me back later and she asked if I'd be willing to be the speaker at their big fundraising event for the child advocacy center I was a nervous wreck but I was like you know okay God I see where you're going with this so I agreed to do it Um, I shared my testimony for the first time live and in person that night and um, was also able to be a sponsor for the event with the money from the toothpaste so Um, God was really starting to turn those ashes into beauty and show me that there was, you know, value in what had happened. I like to say God never wastes a hurt. He didn't. Yeah. He did not. And every time I tell my story, um, I heal a little bit more. Not because I'm sharing my story, because that's still very hard. Um, But because of what God does with it and the doors that he opens, the people he's allowed me to be able to minister to and serve through the process, to love on. Um, to share his love, his forgiveness, his grace and mercy with others. So, Well, thank you for sharing. And every time, or most every time, if I can remember, when I ask somebody to share their story, I always kind of end it with, is there something, one thing that you want to make sure that you leave with your church family that's on this side of the <laughs> Arkansas River? And so... um this is would be that opportunity. Is there one thing you want to make sure you leave with your church family? I think I want to say that I know in a room this size and with people in here that more than likely every one of us needs to stare at whatever has been hurting you or has hurt you. And you need to forgive, forgive yourself or that person or thing, that idea, whatever it is that's caused you pain. And you need to reach out and touch the hem of his garment. You need to lay it all at his feet, and then you need to roll up your mat and walk in his goodness. 
And sometimes, like the man sitting beside the water waiting, we grow accustomed to and comfortable with how things are in our life. And we get used to them, even the bad. And we say we want change, but don't actually do something to change. Or maybe we don't know how or where to start. Or maybe we know it's going to cause some pain and heartache at first. But maybe we all need to ask ourselves what Jesus asked this man. Do you want to be well? Mm -hmm. Do you want to wash the shame away for good? And if we do want to be healed from whatever it is, are we willing to do the things that God is calling us to do to get that healing? In Hebrews 12, 1 and 3, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and, and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. He's a good father, and just like us, he had to disregard shame. No matter what I've done or haven't done, he's never been anything but kind to me. Like I've said this whole time, he's been with me the entire time. I didn't always do what he wanted me to do, but he was there. And though trauma and shame, deposited hurts and pain, the process and journey to healing produced so much good in my life. And through the shame, the fruit of joy has emerged. Through the trauma, the fruit of peace has settled on me. Through the disappointments, the fruit of faithfulness has flourished. Through the trials, the fruit of love has been the harvest and kindness and gentleness have followed me. And what the enemy meant to destroy me with has instead become my testimony. And in the midst of trauma, I found priceless treasure. And I want that same healing for each one of you here today. I want you to all be able to say, it is well with my soul. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Um, before we corporately worship through music, I, I want to just kind of highlight a couple of things that Bridget brought up. And I want to do that. I want to use that last scripture. And McKinley, I apologize. I don't think I had that in your script. So I'm going to read you a, a couple of those verses again that, that Bridget just read. And um, I, I want to make a couple of comments as we go. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge, huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, and so um, as we live, uh, not only do we have people around us in our life right now, um, uh, the context of this verse reminds us that it's not just the people in our lives right now, but we are surrounded by story after story after story, life after life after life from the Old Covenant. The writer of Hebrews goes through many of those stories in chapter 11 right before this. So we have all of these people from the Old Covenant. And, and then he makes reference to people within the New Covenant. And in doing so, he's not just telling stories of victory, but he's also telling stories of pain, suffering, and hurt. And he's reminding us and reminding the readers that, hey, listen, this life is going to be filled 
with not just some great things when we chase after Jesus, but there's going to be some hurt and shame and pain heaped upon your life from other people. And so he's reminding us of this. And so here we have today uh, the reminder, it's not just the people around us right now who are witnessing how we live our lives, but somehow, as only God understands and knows, those who have gone before somehow are cheering us on as well. I can't explain it, but that's the context of this verse. And he says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. And and here's one comment I want to make about that, of stripping off that weight. So often when I read that verse, I think of all the many, many, many things that I do in life that's called sin. Anything I do or think that is not the way God would do it or the way God would think, that's sin. And I have so much of that in my life. And yes, that is part of what we need to strip away. But then, in the context of Bridget's biography and her story, there are also things in our lives that have been, that are other people's sin that has been heaped upon you. Sometimes we get that sin heaped upon us from our family of origin as we grow up. Sometimes it gets heaped upon us just in living life from other people that we just know or around, or sometimes it's a complete stranger. But their sin can be heaped upon your life too. But when I, every time I have read this verse, I've never really, until thinking about Bridget's story, I've, I've never really understood that connection that we also have things that are that are slowing us down in this life that are from other people that have been heaped upon you, things you didn't deserve, things you didn't ask for, things you certainly didn't want. And their sin can also so easily trip us up, as the writer of Hebrews says, as we need to strip that off. But then he says, so once we do strip that off, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. So we have to understand that in this 30-year period that Bridget is figuring out her story now that she has had this experience heaped upon her life. What is the race that is before me now? And at 38, God began to put some of those pieces back together. And I can only assume reminding her, Bridget, you are in the race. You've never been taken out. You haven't been passed over, passed by, overlooked, or disqualified. You're in the race. And I have a lane for you that's just for you. The lane that he has for Bridget is different than the lane that he has for you, and it's different than the lane that he has for me. But they are all a lane inside of his race. And it took Bridget 38 years to find her lane or to see it more clearly. Yeah. 
you never really left it, right. but to see it more clearly. And I just like to stay on the shoulder. <laughs> Every once in a while, I might, you know, ease out into ease the slow out. lane. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. But it took her 38 years and, 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 and it all the process of healing. And I, and I, I can only say, I, uh, apparently, it was right on time. And that, that's that's hard sometimes. That 30 years was not right. wasted. Right. It was right on time. He didn't say, I'm going to move on and disqualify you. You, you lose. No. It is apparently um, perfect, timing. perfect timing. God's timing. God's timing. And so he has a lane for you. He has, she is in the race. You're in the race. Um. But here's what he said. So we run this race with endurance, this race that he has set before you. And then here's the next line. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Now, the evil one, his goal is to keep your eye on yourself, on that other person, on that circumstance, on those things, on shame. His, his goal is to keep you from running, to keep you on the shoulder, to keep you out of the race. But the writer of Hebrews says, we, we do this, we do run this race by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So through this 30 years, not wasted, he's in the process of bringing you to this point of healing. Um, wow. I just, I love how this just not only parallels your life, but all of us. And so he said, okay, champion, because, oh, oh, and this next phrase, who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him, speaking of Jesus, because of that, he endured the cross. One of the evil one's greatest tools in life is to make you and to make Bridget and to make myself feel alone in our shame. Alone. If he can isolate you to just your thoughts, everyone else looked at Bridget's life and said, she's got it together. She's, she's, she's got it together. Um, but on the inside, she was crushed. And, and if the evil one can keep you isolated, and can keep you in your shame, separated from other people, then he's going to be able to really manipulate and control your life. And so here we have Jesus, who is going to, because of the joy set before him, who's going to endure the cross. And I believe that we can look in scripture and we can find support for the truth that whatever we have experienced in this life, the sin we have committed and the sins that have com been committed against you and heaped upon you that you didn't ask for. That you are not alone in that. Because that very sin was heaped upon Jesus when he was on the cross. Every single one of those sins and the ones that make you feel isolated and separated. I want you to know that Jesus somehow 
as only it can happen in this spiritual world that I don't understand somehow Jesus was in that experience with you because it landed on him on the cross. But he says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured it. What is that joy? I can't pause here long, but I'm just going to say you are part of that joy. He endured that shame. And he endured that pain and that humiliation because you are part of that joy. But then here's where the bells and the whistles and the celebrations go on. Because while he was on the cross, here's what it says Jesus was doing, the writer of Hebrews. He was disregarding its shame. There's some translations, because um, here's really where this, this word is so nuanced in the Greek. It, it gives us the idea, the picture, that Jesus from the cross with shame. You know, we picture Jesus on the cross for our own comfort with him on a loincloth and being, that's not how they crucified you. He was naked on the cross and shame upon shame upon shame was being heaped upon God. And he asked for it. He planned it. He asked for it. But here's what it says he was doing to shame, not just, not just disregarding it. The picture really is that Jesus is shaming shame. The very shame that the evil one was heaping upon his life and that has heaped, he, that the evil one has heaped upon your life and that has heaped for years and years and years upon Bridget's life. And I'm sure there are still moments in your life, I can only imagine because I know my life and what I, I experienced for me. I know there are still moments that the evil one reminds me of shame. But in this moment, Jesus shames shame. It's like, no, no, no. We're not going to go there. I'm going to take everything you give me. I'm going to take it all. Shame on you. Shame. And he conquers shame in that moment. And now, the writer says he is seated. All the hostility he endured from the sinful people. Not just the people who were there in that moment, but all the hostility and the sin of the entire world. What was to come and what had been before and what was happening right there in that moment was heaped upon Jesus on the cross. And he endured, think of all that he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up too. Because whatever has been heaped upon your life was also heaped upon the life of Jesus. And you are not alone. And you, my friend, you are part of his joy. And that's why he endured the cross. And that's why he endured the shame, which gave him the opportunity to shame, shame. And I'm so thankful that Bridget was willing and brave enough knowing that 
this was going to be streamed today. Knowing that her story is going to be heard today. And it's going to be available to be heard tomorrow. And the day after that. And the day after that. And the day after that. Because there is someone years from now, however long the interwebs last, there's going to be someone years from now who needs to hear Bridget's story of healing. And just maybe, maybe something Bridget has shared from her own life this morning has stirred something in your heart. Maybe this morning you need to do exactly what Bridget discovered for herself. And it was there all along in scripture and she it finally connected. Maybe you need to reach out and touch the hem of his garment. Right now. And I'm going to pray for you. If you need to take a step with Jesus today, please take that step. If you need to make him the boss of your life, make him the boss of your life. If you're not sure how to do that, let me know. I, I, let me give you a thumbnail right now. You just simply say, Jesus, I know you died on the cross for me. And what you did on the cross purchased my life. And I'm admitting that right now that you bought me on the cross. So I'm going to transfer the ownership. My life was in my hands, I thought. But now I'm placing it for real in your hands, Jesus. And I'm going to follow you because of what you did on the cross. And it all happens. We can do this because three days after he died, he walked out of the tomb alive. If that's the step you need to take, make it right now. Just say, Jesus, I'm giving you this life. It's yours. You own it. But whatever step you need to take towards healing, I just ask that you would take it. Join me. Let's talk to our Father right now. God, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that you died for us. 